HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Let's Eat In on the Heritage Radio Network. The following episode of Let's Eat In has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Whole Foods Market reminds you that every bite has a story, so whether it's a tomato, a muffin, or a T-bone steak, your conscious food choices can change the planet. Because at Whole Foods Market, every single purchase you make helps us support things like animal welfare, organic agriculture, equitable trade, and energy offsets. Let's think before we eat. Let's retake our plates. Hey, hey, welcome to 2011. Uh, this is Let's Eat In. I'm your host, Kathy Irway, and this is Heritage Radio Network at Roberta's Pizza. Um, Happy New Year, everybody. And I have a really good crowd here with me to help celebrate that. Starting off the year right, the good crowd. I actually, I started off the year to the to the second <laughs> with some of these people. <laughs> it was a long night. Um, For a few hours. Yeah. <laughs> For a few hours, um, it was it was it was wonderful. I hope everyone had a great uh, New Year and are fully recovered by now. I think we are. Anyway, so those folks, um, I've had a couple of them here on the show, but um, a lot has happened since. Let's talk about that. Um, Lena McCarthy from Anarchy in a Jar, Jar hey. in a Jam. Wow. <laughs> hey. Thanks hey. for coming. Thanks. You've also got your apprentice, Emma. I do. I have my apprentice, Emma, here with me today. And I think I was on the show exactly a year ago, me and Kadeem. Oh, wow. Remember that? So we can go over the year. it was almost exactly a year, yeah. Okay, it's a good time to backtrack and then (laughs) see how far you've you've come since that. And (laughs) I I do want to talk about that because uh, that recent article in the New York Times about Brooklyn, the marketing label or the brand or something. And uh, there's a lot of talk about your, your brand. I mean, not as specifically, but the ones that are being, you know, acquired by William Sonoma and stuff like that. So uh, anyway, let's do it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I also got Ben Flanner here. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having um, ben is the director of farming operations. Is that a good one? <laughs> Brooklyn Grange. At farmer. Yeah. <laughs> He's a farmer at Brooklyn Grange of Top Farm. It's in Long Island City, and it's an acre of fresh, awesome, locally grown food. And uh, one of the people who buys such ingredients is the chef Patrick Connolly from Bobo. Hello. Hey, thanks for joining us. 
great to be here. And the he, director of farming. The director. <laughs> <laughs> Are the you director the director of cooking? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like chef. I like director of cooking. What about executive <laughs> executive chef? Yeah, the administrative director of cooking. Okay. <laughs> uh, chief cook. Okay. <laughs> Deputy cook. No, not good. That would be sous chef. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Darn. <laughs> what do I know? <laughs> Business. So um, this is your first time on the show. Yes, too. it is. Great and, to be here. Um, cool. And you also buy Heritage Foods pork yes, products. Yes, Yep. So Every Tuesday, porters, bellies, shoulders. <laughs> Good stuff. So yes. how do you keep up? Like, obviously, um, the rooftop is covered in snow right now. Mm-hmm. And you guys are done pulling up stuff for the yep. season. Hundred percent off season right now. Is that kind of sad? Yeah, it's sad, but it's also you kind of welcome when you work really hard all summer through the busy part of the season. You kind of welcome a couple months off because you can restore your sanity and <laughs> start making a plan for next year and catching up with people that that you haven't had time for all you know during the busy part of the season. So and hibernate. Yeah. yeah so it's also kind of necessary. Cool and party like crazy. So. <laughs> Cyclic. <laughs> <laughs> And um, Chef Patrick, or whatever you want to be called, uh, <laughs> how do you deal with this lack of, um, not lack, but uh, shortage, I guess, because um, that was a good part of your food that you used, mm-hmm. um, but there's a lot of, are there still a lot of local farms that have uh, winter veggies that you're buying from? I mean, there's not a lot. You just have to be, you have to be realistic about it mm-hmm. first, and uh, second, uh, uh, you have to be reactionary to what is available. So I think uh, a lot of restaurants have become, um, and a lot of just home cooks for that matter, have become accustomed to um, starting off a, a meal with a recipe and then executing that recipe no matter what. So like, right. I'm going to make an avocado salad. I need to find avocados no matter what. What I mean by reac- reactionary is sort of finding, working from what is available. You know, it seems, uh, and it's it's difficult for people who aren't natural naturally good cooks or director of cooking operations in their own home <laughs> to do that. Um, but uh, I think, you know, just sort of part of um, uh, becoming a better cook, becoming better educated about uh, different techniques and, you know, how you can prepare these other vegetables, you're better set up to deal with, you know, slow seasons mm-hmm. like we're dealing with now, you know. So be less choosy, kind of go with the flow. Exactly. Yeah, it takes Let some nature determine what you're going to cook. Yeah, so if you go to the market and there's, the, you know, there's tons of macumber turnips, and there's been tons of macumber turnips for the last two months, and it's like uh, you're like, what is that? Well, what, what is it? Well, you know what? Take it home and mess around with it, you yeah. know, and um, and uh, you know that's the only way you're going to remain, you know, truly loyal to eating local, and you're also going to be a better cook the other day. So. And I hear a lot of local or people who want to be who say they want to be a locavore, but they just can't do it in the winter. Is that just a pickiness? Maybe like uh, you just have to try branch out and try macumber turnips and i think i mean i think a lot of people that um are really dedicated to that way of eating are not picky and i think you have to you can't be picky um allergies are one thing but you know like i don't like that well you need to get over that Mm -hmm. you know um um so um yeah i just don't uh you know, I, I think, yeah, they're not picky. I think it's just, uh, you know, you just got to try it out, you right. know, and see what happens. And what are your favorite winter ingredients to play around with right now? Um, well, <laughs> 
favorites sort of have to be what's available, I guess, you know. Like, we're still getting a, a decent amount of sunchokes, and those are always my favorite. Um, Love those. I'm surprised yeah. how they're not as popular as they should be, you know, making chips. I think that sunchoke chips make an am- amazing garnish. Ooh. I like to put them on top of soups. and. Um, oh, that sounds yummy. Yeah. So you slice them up and deep fry them? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So Ooh. you could have like a potato soup or celery root soup and just sprinkle or some of those. Or sunchoke soup. On. Exactly, <laughs> you know. Um, but use those more as a texture thing. And, um, um, you know, obviously turnips, lots of turnips. I'm still getting some Swiss chard still. So, you know, I use that. And what about like hot, like do, are there a lot of greenhouses that are growing greens? Because I see greens all the time in the green market, uh, <laughs> appropriately, I guess, um, all throughout this, the year. Do you think that those are all grown in ground or what do you think, Ben? Like, um, yeah, I, th- I think most of them are typical. A heavy frost will typically wilt the leaves pretty yeah. pretty heavily. So there's something to, to keep them. Although I did notice on my rooftop, uh, some of the snow had melted away and the spinach was like fine. <laughs> yeah, it starts popping back really yeah. fast, doesn't it? It was mm-hmm. like totally, I was like, totally could weather. And then, of course, it gets so sweet in the cool weather, too. It produces more sugars. That's right. Yeah, sugar, spinach. Mm-hmm. Same with kales and other brassicas. I think that there's a whole variety to the flavors of food and how they taste at different times of the year that that you could you could really recognize and bring out, try to play around with. What are some of your favorite dishes to make with these things lately, Chef? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, honestly, my, my favorite dishes are like the one-pot thing um, and really, like I said, not going into it with a recipe but sort of you know, doing with what you have. So, you know, you have a chicken in the house, you have a duck in the house, throwing it in a pot, throwing some kale in there, throwing collard greens, I love some that. kind of root. That sounds good. Um, you know, and just potatoes, yeah, and then just whatever. <laughs> I mean, however it turns out is great. I mean, the only unfortunate thing is if somebody, you know, you sh- you have a guest over and they want to, they want the recipe, and you're like, well, I have no recipe to <laughs> offer you. You know, it's kind of like uh, uh, these things that exist once yeah. and then never again. So. <laughs> So, Lena, um, I'm sure you have uh, tons of jam in storage. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, definitely. And this is the time of year, I think, especially that people um, really crave preserves, um, which makes sense. I mean, that's the whole point of preserves is to keep you. It feels a little silly to eat uh, strawberry jam in the summer, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, right. Exactly. In the spring. And I think, you know, I try to I certainly still get, um, you know, berries freeze really well. um, So I I can make jam year round. Um, but certainly there's certain things like citrus tends to be something I do more with in the winter um, because you can get your great citrus from California um, yeah. in the winter. And, uh, you know, citrus is something that I never can get local. Uh-huh. Um, not yet, at least. Maybe global warming will change that. <laughs> at, this point, uh, at this point, citrus is from California. So really in the winter, there's um, it's nice to be able to still play with things that are, you know, pseudo seasonal. Um, and I think people crave it too in the winter. They, people really want things like citrus and the same thing I think with like, you know, with eating duck or one pot dishes and brassicas like kale. I mean, there's something about the winter that you crave that kind of warming, um, warming food anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something also kind of, um, the thing about eating locally and seasonally, um, part of it is that it's good to miss 
the things of summer. You know, I mean, Ben and I were just talking the other day about missing ramps, you know, thinking about that first, you know, nice time in the in May when the first ramps come up and it's so exciting right. and they're in the markets and everyone's crazy for them. And then, you know, by the end of May, you're kind of sick of ramps because uh-huh. you've seen them everywhere and, and you've you been smell eating like them. Garlic. And, you, <laughs> and Ben has, you know, garlic odor coming out of his skin. And, um, yeah. So I think, but it's so, you know, there's something about missing something that's actually really nice. It makes you really appreciate it when you can't get good stuff. So well, that's what makes it special, right? Because you yeah. can't get it all the time. Yeah, exactly. So accept that truth, people. Mm-hmm. It's a fact. Yeah. Right. Um, what flavors do you have coming up? Any citrus things? Uh, yeah, I have um, I have my grapefruit and smoked salt. That one's good. Um, clementine marmalade. Oh, I haven't seen that. Mm, Yum. Yeah. And uh, lime and pandan marmalade. What's pandan? It's a um, Southeast Asian leaf that um, has kind of a nutty, coconutty oh, flavor to it. Oh, so it's like lime it. and coconut. Yeah, the wow. lime and the coconut, yeah. And that's like a jelly? <laughs> Jelly. It's a marmalade, so it's. Oh. I use actually the. I cut the limes up so the skins are in it. Oh, I've never heard of that. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's good. Cool. Anything with apples? You know, it's interesting. Apples. I was just um, talking to Emma, my jam apprentice, who's sitting next to me. We were just uh, talking about how apple is a funny flavor. Um, I I did an apple chutney, and I had an apple flavor through the fall um, when it was particularly seasonal and. People like it, but they don't love it. Like, apple is something that people don't... Uh, it's not the most popular flavor. And so I do a little with it, but... Um, Maybe it's because it's so ubiquitous. It's like, oh, I boring. So. Apple. Blah. And apples are a little boring in jam. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I add stuff to them, like interesting spices and booze, which helps make them a little more interesting, but... Yeah. You know, in some ways, what makes apples interesting is that they are kind of boring. Um, I think when you mix them, put them in pies, or you know, you use them in baking, and you can they're like a good accompaniment, but somehow they're a little less interesting when you put them in a jam. Another mm. interesting thing about apples that goes along with that a little bit is that they store so well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't necessarily need to be That's preserving them. That's why they're not them. as special, because you can have them all year Yeah, round. you don't necessarily <laughs> need to be preserving them. You can still pull out a, a decent yes, one that, a was, that was picked this last fall. Whereas, like, pears or something, which is a tree with similar genetics, like, they don't store that well. They bruise and they go bad so fast. So oh. maybe it's partially yeah. just works out on its own, too, the fact that <laughs> some of them are more uh, interesting to preserve than others. Yeah, pear is something that people definitely, like, seem to like more in, in a, a jam. jam. Yeah. Yeah, you had a pear chutney, no? No, a pe- fireman's hot pear. Yeah, a pear with chipotle, a little smokiness, and then I have a pear ginger. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and those seem, they're always really popular, and people seem excited about them, um, whereas the apple, maybe it is what you're saying, that apples are just kind of boring. Um, you know, <laughs> apple butter is something people seem to like. Um, I, you know, I do it apple occasionally, sauce, but, yeah. yeah, but they don't, it's not exciting to them. It's something more, and I think it tends to be with the flavors I do that people crave more of the, the flavors that are unusual a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, I think it's, a, it's such a drastic transformation from a fresh, the taste of a fresh apple and then the cooked apple is so different. It's, it's, I, I like the fresh apple better. But, For sure. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So you, apparently you haven't been able to keep 
jars enough, enough jars of jam on shelves of places. It's true. It's true. It's been it's been going crazy. It's been going crazy, yeah, and it's, it's still pretty much a one woman except for Emma. Yeah. Operation. One. In, it's two women when Emma's around. <laughs> <laughs> but she's off to Amsterdam for uh, the next few months. So. How are you going to keep be. up with this demand? I'm going to keep making it as much as I can. So, okay. yeah, luckily I have a good kitchen space now, so it's it's easier to make it. But it's definitely, um, you know, it's got to keep churning it out. Uh-huh. <laughs> and when will we see Anarchy in a Jar in Williams-Sonoma stores? Theoretically, possibly soon. Mm-hmm. Um, no exact date yet, but some point soon. Um, so yeah, they're, I'm just going to start with a few of their bigger selling stores and then, um, but they've been working on trying to, um, make their product line a little more interesting. And Mm -hmm. so they've been, um, they've definitely been seeking out some of the local, um, New York Brooklyn, City. Yeah, the Brooklyn company. The Brooklyn brand, yeah. And I, I did you consider putting Brooklyn in the name of your company and decide not to for any reason? Um, yeah, I, I didn't really consider it. Um, but And it's definitely something that uh, I think, um, you know, I think Brooklyn as a brand, um, I think it's, I mean, I think it's great that it's helping a lot of small companies do well. Um, but it's something that I don't know that that's like what defines my company. Your company? Okay. Um, I don't know that it's Brooklyn that defines my company. Okay. Um, you know, it happens to be where I live and where I make product. And it's certainly, um, you know, the, the Brooklyn fad at the moment helps certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that it, uh, is something that I want to define my, right. my company with. Okay. Um, you know, but I think, and I think something I'm always a little hesitant about, um, about fads. I think I understand them. I mean, that's how we work as humans. We're drawn to like fads and getting obsessed with things and, you know, and it makes our lives, I guess, a little more interesting if we can go through, you Mm -hmm. know, interesting, you know, if we get excited about stuff, but I, I don't know that, um, as a company that I would want, that I wanted to find myself that way. Right. Um, and Ben, I know that you're only like one fifth of the team at Brooklyn Grange, but was there any thought be- behind having the word Brooklyn in there? Especially after I know that you plan to have it in a rooftop in Brooklyn and over a series of events, it ended up in, you know, Long Island City, very mm-hmm. close to Brooklyn. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I don't think we were really thinking about it in terms of of the brand i think it was more just the fact that that um the grange is the the national um association that it is has all these small divisions that are in the certain locales where they are and we were all of course living working you know spent a lot of time in brooklyn so it, it made sense at that time um but yeah i've i've I, I think i agree to some extent on the on the branding thing you don't want to overdo it or or you know create any illegitimacy in a brand by like having the name pop up too often so Mm -hmm. um i don't know if it necessarily works as a positive or a negative marketing marketing tool and this is actually in a lot of restaurants now too brooklyn uh the brooklyn what's it called fair is it i'm like Brooklyn Star. The Brooklyn Near is the bar in Manhattan that I think people have been mentioning (laughs) and maybe making fun of a little bit. Um, The Brooklyn Larder. The yeah, you know, what does Bobo mean? (laughs) (laughs) Change the subject. (laughs) 
Uh, Bobo is, um, it's an elision of the term, of the words uh, bourgeois and uh, bohemian. Oh, that's cute. Bourgeois in Brooklyn. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, we found a website a couple weeks ago where it's like, they do, uh, they do, uh, like Paris versus New York and these cute little like captions and um, so they do like hot dog croque monsieur and stuff like that and this one was like hipster bobo <laughs> for some reason uh, yeah that's kind of a style but uh, so it's also a chicken farm no it's it true is. it is a chicken farm boba chickens do you get your chickens from bobo I don't oh. I've had them and they're fantastic but yeah. I don't uh, yeah. it would just be too much yeah it's a common nickname with very large people you know, you could call metal. a dish the roasted bobo bobo chicken. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Bobo squared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I want to make sure that everyone has time to answer my favorite question, which is, what would you make on a sexy, steamy, hot date? Chef Patrick. You're trying to cook to impress. Jesus. Oh, God. I don't know. I find that um, uh, if you deglazing a pan with alcohol of any kind, mm-hmm. that's just that's the key move. What? Once that happens, <laughs> once that happens, you really don't need to serve anything. <laughs> <laughs> Do you let the um, alcohol get into the burner a little bit so it flares up and goes? Woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That adds to it. That's the move. Yeah, that's the move. All right. Is that how you wooed your wife? That's how. That's it. Deglaze. Yeah, done deal. Done deal. Deglaze. It was a bottle of uh, white vermouth. Still have it. <laughs> Break was it out it? on anniversaries. Deglaze. Clams. Anything in particular you Sorry? can recall? Was there like one meal that just... No, was... see, that's the thing. You don't get okay. to the meal. You don't eat it, actually. Oh, oh, yeah. right, right. Deglaze, and then that's it. <laughs> Sounds like a hot date. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a little like there is a, like an element of danger to cooking. I think that is always a you know kind of exciting. Right. <laughs> I could burn myself in the whole house. And nothing sexier than singed eyebrows. <laughs> 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 okay, I'll have to try that one. Then. Uh, <laughs> um, I was thinking polenta with a really rich stock from maybe from some leftover Thanksgiving turkey or. Um, some roasted chicken. Aww. Um And then with some greens on the side. Oh, that sounds sweet. <laughs> nice and wintry. Aww. Yeah. That just makes me feel all cozy. <laughs> if it was summer, it'd be something different, of course. Right. Yeah. Okay. Lena? Mm-hmm. I was going to say breakfast, um, but we actually had polenta and greens for breakfast the other day. Oh, so that's so maybe like that was it. a hot, <laughs> steamy <laughs> breakfast day. No, Ben did make a really great polenta recently with. Did you have a poached Homemade egg on top? Yeah, oh. We actually had scrambled eggs with uh-huh. it, but a poached egg is really good with polenta. And some, we had some kale. It was pretty amazing. That's what I'm talking about. He, she, he probably deglazed the pan, <laughs> and then they had to eat it the next morning. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, polenta is no good the next day. It's like jelly. Yeah, it's like that's rubber. true. Anyway, we have to get that Emma sounds to good. Get a chance to okay, Emma, what's what's the sexiest date meal idea? Um, I like menu. cozy meals. I think anything comforting and warm, like roast chicken or something braised, is always delicious and comforting. Okay, I like that. comfort food yeah. is 
deglazed, preferably. <laughs> Any anything deglazed. <laughs> and I know. Yeah, okay. I you know. Can I can I say that you guys are a couple? Yeah. Lena and Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Was there any like uh, special home cooked meal that that was one of the first uh, dates that you had? Because I know you both mm-hmm. love to cook. Yeah, we must have had something. <laughs> you went. Maybe you went to Bobo. <laughs> There's a lot of cooking that goes down. It all like, yes. together. <laughs> we We're did there. have a great meal at Bobo. Actually, it was in the fall, right? Yeah, it was a few months ago. Yeah. And it was perfectly timed because it was right towards the end of the season when we both were really tired and we had just been doing deliveries like all day and we were exhausted mm-hmm. and it was so nice because we got to Bovo and Patrick made us really wonderful food and it was just what we needed. It was like to have this really nice meal at the end of a hard working day. So. Yeah, it's nice to be the last stop. On Ben's delivery, because <laughs> he, he gets to hang out with me, and then Lena came, came by. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. No, I bet that's also out. really nice to just go and kind of be in a restaurant, but have something cooked by a friend is always yeah a huge plus. That's what it's all about. And when I, you know, if I don't know who I'm cooking for, that's who I pretend. I just pretend it's Ben. <laughs> you know, that's, the, that's the key to success as a director of you know cooking. So any um, any uh, collaborative, because I know you guys did this awesome collaborative dinner in the summer where you, uh, Patrick cooked on the rooftop of Brooklyn Grange and mm-hmm. served a delicious meal. We were just talking I about it. Nothing planned yet, but there will definitely be more. And Patrick has his whole Plate to Gate series, mm-hmm. which you might want plate to mention. Plate to Gate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, the gate? This past summer, well, the, the sort of the farm-to-table term in Britain is gate to plate, so... Just kind of a reversal of that, <laughs> trying to remain original as much yeah. as possible. Uh, we called it Plate the Gate. So we did a series of six dinners over the summer where we took um, took our crew from Bobo out to uh, the farms that we sourced from oh, and so did cool. a meal there. So we've done, we did a brunch out at Neversink in the Catskills and also a dinner in their barn later on. Um, did a Fourth of July oyster roast at uh, Mike Kaczynski's place up in Green in the North Fork. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we did uh, three dinners um, at the Brooklyn Grange and they were smashing success and you just can't you can't beat having a meal from the produce right there behind you and then the skyline of Manhattan in the background so Patrick would run out in his chef's clothes go pick an herb (laughs) oh yeah that was my dream come true like oh I need time well excuse me I'm just gonna walk down the way a little bit so I must say he was good he knew where everything was because it was kind of you know to some it was kind of a maze there's a lot of plants out there it's a big area oops I grabbed uh, horseradish instead yeah Yeah, he knew where his favorite purple shisho shiso was he knew where the peas were yeah he's trying to hide that from me he got one plant over in the corner shiso yeah shiso yeah it's usually another plant hiding in the corner but no it's shiso <laughs> that's great so we got a few we're hopefully do another you know three or so this summer and uh yeah it's actually a really nice um i mean it's nice in many ways it's nice to have you know eat on the farm but it's especially um seeing a farm you know the grange is a hard-working operation and normally when you're up there you know we're we're picking like madmen and you know, running around like mm-hmm. crazy and, you know, doing a, a lot of work, a lot of labor. Um, and there's something really wonderful about uh, going up there and having, the minute you get up there, there's like amaz- some amazing bobo person handing you a cocktail, you know? And, right. and then you walk down and the table is like so beautiful and 
uh, Patrick and crew did a really nice job of just making it really like magical. That up there was pretty amazing. Christmas lights nice and balance. lanterns, and it's just such a nice thing to suddenly be like, oh wow, this hard working place of you know farming and labor can for an evening be transformed into kind of a magical place of eating and enjoying the. And the, the fruits and that, of the labor. That know? must have been a really hard feat because I remember the tables, and you fit a lot of people, were on top of like a bed that you had recently harvest, harvested, <laughs> right? And they, it was so. kind of like elevated, so like the yeah. chairs were like, I kept almost falling backwards, but <laughs> like, you knew you were on a farm. <laughs> but exactly. it was like, it was very... Maybe hay bales next year for the bench. Ooh. Oh. Classy. Yes. Uh... What was I going to say? Uh, so, um, any plans in store? Any changes for Brooklyn Grange this summer? Mm. Um, I'm spending a fair amount of time just thinking about the crops and how to do them smarter, more more efficient, and and um, tailored to to what all the people want. Okay. Um, and a couple other little ideas, but um, nothing major. We're just going to try to do everything better. And what did everybody want? Tomatoes. Everybody wanted tomatoes. Everybody wanted shishito peppers. Oh. Um, Mexican sour gherkins, the little, little um, aka mouse melon. The, are they the like cornichon? Uh, no? They're in the family, but they're they're unique. They okay. they look like small little uh, classic watermelons with the the whitish pattern on a, on a green. Everybody wanted um, those. Huh? They did. Those were very popular. Sun golds, of course. In t- terms of the specifics of the tomatoes, you can hardly grow enough of those. Okay, cool. And uh, Patrick. Oh, what do you think of like chefs um, having you know rooftop gardens in, in their restaurants? Do you do you garden yourself? Um, we have uh, you know some pots for mostly herbs and some mm-hmm. tomatoes at the restaurant. Um, we've you know we have we have we've always made plans or hope to um, do a rooftop farm um, on the building adjacent to Bobo without any success. Um, so this year we're just going to expand you know the herbs that we're able to do on our garden and on the patio from our, our second floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully in the future with other restaurant projects that uh, Rooftop Farm will be a oh, part wow. of that restaurant. Cool. Yeah. That's, I think that, you know... It I makes see- sense, though, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Like, exactly, you because think? You, you have that... Like, when you were cooking on Ben's rooftop, you have everything right in front of you. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you have to be realistic about it. You can't, you know... There's no way I can make one salad and it's going to be completely from you know this thousand square foot space above the restaurant you know you have to be it has to be herbs or you know things simple that are gonna you know that makes sense you don't want to be overly ambitious let let ben take care of all the ambitious right because i was gonna say these guys are pros at what they do and you're pros at cooking them yeah ben do you have any thoughts on more chefs kind of getting the green thumb yeah i think just like what patrick said you can't be too ambitious focus on a couple just a couple crops but but yeah as long as the space is there and the sun's beating down on it all day might as well right. get something photosynthesizing and producing some food <laughs> well look forward to that um i just got my seed catalogs too so i'm gonna be picking through and seeing what works and nice sun golds that sounds good i'll have to check out those cucumbers too you mm-hmm. mentioned all right, so thanks again for joining us. Um, let's go eat lunch now. Sounds great. <laughs> thanks for thanks, having us. Kathy. Thank you, guys. See you next week on Let's Eat In. Thanks.